I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, we're going to be discussing the news that Arsenal and West Ham United have come to an agreement finally uh, over the transfer of Declan Rice. Now, the Gunners made that offer of £105 million in total a few days ago now. Uh, everybody thought that that was going to be enough to get the deal done. It was enough in terms of the overall monetary value, but there was that stumbling point with regards to the structure of the payments. The two clubs have been going back and forth for a number of days now, and finally, they have reached an agreement on how the payment of uh, £100 million plus £5 million uh, will be paid for Declan Rice, which means we are moving. Things are moving forward, which is great. And listen, I have to say, I sort of expressed some frustration in recent episodes about how long this was taking. It was driving me a little bit crazy because I guess because we keep hearing information, it's becoming really, really difficult sometimes to weed out what is genuine information and what is nonsense. And what I've had to do, particularly with this Declan Rice saga, is almost ignore everybody bar a couple of people. I think David Ornstein has obviously been great. I think that um, Jacob Steinberg of The Guardian has been great. Um, Fabrizio Romano feels like he's been piggybacking on some of that stuff um, and sort of um, maybe providing a little bit more colour uh, at certain points during this transfer saga, if you want to call it that. But um, I think when you get the Ornstein tweet, you know uh, that shit is serious and you know that things are moving forward. So um, it was interesting because throughout this saga, throughout this summer transfer window so far, David Ornstein has tended to drop his updates really, really late at night. Um, he seems to put them out when everybody else is kind of winding down for the day, when the scene is just mellowing that little bit. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I shouldn't be surprised because that's been the way it's been uh, with David Ornstein throughout the duration of this window, as I say. But last night, I, I must admit, I was getting a little bit annoyed after we did the podcast yesterday that nothing had broken. You know, they kept telling us that it was going to be worked out over the weekend. Monday came along, nothing happened. Uh, Tuesday came along, um, the day passed again, nothing happened. And, uh, and we are here now, uh, of course, uh, with that update on the Wednesday morning. As I say, it came late uh, at night on the Tuesday. But for once, I decided to go to bed. For once, I decided to have an early night. For once, I thought, you know what? Screw this. I'm not going to spend my entire evening refreshing Twitter. Instead, I'm going to put my phone to one side. I'm going to sit down, watch a nice film, um, have a cold drink. And then uh, I decided, yeah, you know what? I'm going to head off to bed at probably around about 11.15. And I think this broke at like 11.30 or something. Had I known, had I seen it then, I'm sure I would have uh, been on my bike uh, heading down to the man cave to bring you uh, a live episode at the time. But instead, uh, we're doing it now because, yeah, it was uh, it was one that, that caught me out. And, um, you know, it's kind of nice when that happens. It's kind of nice to wake up. Like I woke up this morning at about 6.30 a.m. Um, kids woke me up you know how it is. Um, and I sort of normally for the first sort of 15, 20 minutes, I'm a bit groggy. Uh, I can't really 
be bothered to get up. I'm sort of fighting with myself to to get out of bed and sort of scrolling through my phone just to kind of kill time and make sure that, you know, I don't get out of bed before a reasonable hour. Yeah, I, I can be like that sometimes, particularly during the summer uh, where things are just that little bit calmer in terms of sort of my work routine. Um, but I woke up this morning, read that and literally jumped out of bed, literally shot out of bed in excitement because I know I've said that, you know, when you drag something like this on as much as we have and when it takes this long and when you're sort of following it every step of the way, which is something that didn't used to happen in previous years, it can dilute the excitement. It can take away from that buzz uh, around a new deal. The feeling I felt this morning was probably a combination of excitement, but also relief, relief that this was was done and that the agreement had been in place because I'd seen people on this channel yesterday saying the rice deal is off, which I didn't believe. I always thought was uh, a little bit overreactionary, but, um, you know, you do find it increasingly difficult to, to tell people like chill out when something is taking super, super long. But here we are now uh, with this deal done, with this deal in the bag, and uh, we now await the medical um, and, of course, the announcement, which I'm sure Arsenal are going to try and do an elaborate job of. I thought they did a really good one, by the way, uh, on Alessia Russo yesterday. Uh, we spoke on our show before that was announced. We said it was likely that it was coming. We talked about the fact that the Emirates Stadium had been booked out to do that shoot with Alessia Russo. We got that announcement. Great announcement. And now uh, we're looking forward to the Declan Rice one. Uh, let me bring you up to speed then with exactly what David Ornstein has said, tweeted. Uh, for those of you that maybe haven't seen it just yet, uh, this is what David Ornstein had to say uh, on the matter. He said, exclusive Arsenal have reached total agreement with West Ham to sign Declan Rice. West Ham United have now accepted Arsenal's payment structure on record £100 million plus £5 million fee. The 24-year-old England midfielder has been given permission to do his medical and finalise the personal terms. Uh, David Ornstein followed that up with another tweet, although uh, this is information that was also reported by Sammy Mockbell as well, I think first uh, to, to give him his credit. Uh, the payment structure will see West Ham receive a £100 million fixed fee in three instalments over 24 months. Uh, the clubs found the compromise last night to let Declan Rice join Arsenal, subject to, of course, the medical and the personal terms. Now, this is really, really interesting because we know that initially West Ham wanted this done within a year. Then we heard that they wanted it done within 18 months. We heard that Arsenal wanted to do it over four years and then three years. And in the end, Arsenal have sort of compromised on the 24 months thing uh, so that they can... Um, so that they can get this deal done and get this deal over the line. What's really, really important to note here is that Arsenal, by the looks of it, have managed to work this out in a way where this money is paid over three accounting periods, which could have big implications, positive implications, obviously, um, on sort of their adherence with financial fair play and all the rest of it. Uh, it makes it easier for Arsenal to to make this happen. It makes it easier for Arsenal to find these sums of money without it causing a massive issue on the book. So Arsenal have been clever here as well. I think Arsenal would have done their due diligence. Maybe that's what took so long. And Arsenal have figured out that actually, although 24 months is less than the period that we were initially looking to pay this money over, because it's spread over three accounting periods, actually we can make this work. And it's not worth um, sort of risking the deal here. It's not worth 
this dragging on any longer. Let's let's get this done. Let's get this sorted and let's move on. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at now. Um, how long the medical is going to take and the announcement's going to take, we don't know. But I think what we can at least do now, and I know there'll be people now on every single post that Arsenal put out on social media saying, announce Rice and all the rest of it. Um, but what you can do now is kind of kick back and relax a little bit. What you can do is chill out, comfortable in the knowledge that this deal is agreed and that it's literally now about going through the formalities. It's literally now about doing that medical, which nobody envisages there being any problems in. And the personal terms, well, we've been told that those have been agreed ages ago. Uh, around about £250,000 a week is what's been said. Uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, if we get any further information on that later down the line. But Declan Rice is well on his way to becoming an Arsenal player. Uh, another big step forward in this one. And uh, hopefully, I mean, I would have said prior to this week that the announcement probably would come this week. I'm I'm not sure now because it's Wednesday and I don't know how long it's going to take Arsenal to piece all of that stuff together and get the medical done, all the rest of it. Um, and, I, and I said that it probably would have been done this week was because I thought that actually this agreement would have been struck and found much earlier than it was. It just goes to show how difficult West Ham have been to deal with in this. Now, I don't blame them necessarily. You know, Declan Rice is a big, big player for them. He's been key to... Um, you know, their sort of uh, European success and the journeys that they've had on the continent. And he's been key to actually, I think, getting them out of trouble come the back end of campaigns when they just haven't been uh, at the level required. So I understand why they stood firm. I understand why they probably looked at him and thought, we're not going to have another player of this calibre or who can command this type of money for a long, long time. So we have to maximise it. Also, add into the equation that West Ham have been on the FFP watch list, uh, which would have increased their need to get the money in sooner rather than later as well. And uh, and you can understand why this was a difficult negotiation to do. What you have to do is give credit and praise to, to Edu and his people. Um, it's understood that Edu remained calm, remained patient the whole time, even when uh, Manchester City came in. Um, and, uh, and, and you have to give credit to the club as well for being able to stretch uh, that a little bit further as well to make this happen. We know that they didn't want to pay £105 million in total. We know that they wanted to do the deal at far, far less. Uh, Gimme Box in the chat says West Ham have been negotiating in bad faith uh, from the beginning. Um, they've been leaking the entire process throughout. It certainly feels like they have been leaking bits and pieces to the press in order to get what they wanted, which was... In the first place, a bidding war. It didn't happen uh, because Manchester City did come in with the one offer, uh, decided that actually, um, you know, Declan Rice was uh, all in on Arsenal and that even if they went that little bit further, there was no guarantee that they were going to get him. And so they pulled out. Uh, some people are reporting that Manchester City just looked at the price and went, nah, you know, we're, we're all right. We'll stay, steer clear of this, which I think is nonsense for a couple of reasons. So first of all, Manchester City, they don't get put off by price. OK, if they really, really want a player, they are one of a handful of clubs that are able to stretch that far and um, and and get who they want in through the door. Now, I know they're under a lot of scrutiny at the moment because of this ongoing row with the Premier League and all the rest of it. But you still feel like Manchester City, if they really wanted to do that deal, could have done it. The other thing is, is that they offered an amount that was the same amount 
that had been rejected um, from Arsenal just a few days prior. So, you know, if they if they were really, really sort of convinced that they could get Declan Rice in and convinced that he would be on board with that as well, then surely they would have made an offer that was greater than the money that Arsenal had put on the table, which, as I say, uh, was rejected. So I just think this idea that Manchester City were just playing with us or or that Mikel Arteta rang up Pep Guardiola and asked him to put an offer in so that they could get things moving, I think is all a load of nonsense. I think West Ham knew what they wanted. Arsenal had a price at which they wanted to start. And as Tom Canton has said on here before, and, and we've spoken about on his show on a number of occasions, actually, had Arsenal started the bid in a much higher price, then they probably would have ended up paying a much higher price. Declan Rice's desire to come to Arsenal was a big, big factor in this, was a big, big thing. And because of that, Arsenal felt they could start that little bit lower and still remained confident that in the end they would get uh, closer to a point that they wanted. I think the club knew that they were going to have to pay around about 100 million. That was what West Ham were putting out there publicly. But it's how you get to that 100 million. I think that's quite important because if you crawl there, then the selling club will understand that there isn't really much appetite to go beyond that. If somebody says, I want £100 million for a player and you offer 95 straight up, then they're going to try and squeeze more and more and more out of you because they know that the initial offer is no problem for you and that you can go that extra mile. So, yeah, that's where we're at on this. Uh, we're going to take loads of your questions and thoughts from the live chat in just a second. So start getting them in, pop a queue uh, at the beginning of those questions. It just makes it easier for me uh, to pick them out from the live chat box. Um, yeah, uh, just looking at Twitter, what's going on with that at the moment? Everybody is buzzing, aren't they, uh, about the um, the Declan Rice thing? Um, but anyway, he's on his way to Arsenal. The medical is uh, not too far away, it seems. Don't know an exact time or date for that, but we should get it sooner rather than later. And hopefully we get an announcement uh, in the coming days. Let's not drag this bit out, Arsenal, because this bit is within our own hands. Uh, so fingers crossed we can get that done nice and swiftly. Right. Going to take a very, very short pause. Don't go anywhere. Going to be gone for literally one or two seconds. We'll be back. We'll take your questions from the live chat. Let's get your reaction to the news that Arsenal and West Ham have reached an agreement on Declan Rice's transfer. Here we go. Uh, let's get back to it then. Let's get back over to the chat box. Uh, what have we got here? Um... Sticking on the theme of midfield, St. Francis says, Harry, what are your thoughts on the Chuameni links that we are going for him? And it's actually a second bid of 100 million euros. I have to say, mate, I haven't seen that come from any source that I would regard as sort of notably credible. I know that there are people out there that, that will be good at their jobs that don't get the coverage that the Ornsteins and Fabrizios do and all the rest of it. And I get that. So I'm not dismissing anyone's information. I'm not saying that, you know, that they're not good journalists or anything like that. I just, I don't know this to be true. Um, from what I hear about Aurelian Chiumeni, he is seen by Florentino Perez as a really big part of Real Madrid's future. And that doesn't mean that Real Madrid won't sell him. I think Real Madrid would sell him if the price was right. But having just fronted up £100 million over the next couple of years to get Declan Rice in the door, do Arsenal have what it takes now to go and break the bank and sign Aurelian Chiumeni. I don't think they do. Um, I think they will look at another midfielder, but I think if you're talking in that bracket of 100 million and upwards of that, I think 
it's a little bit far-fetched. I don't see it happening. Love the player. I think he's great. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where where he ends up if indeed it doesn't work out at Real Madrid. We hear this morning as well that Carlo Ancelotti is going to leave the club at the end of his current contract and go and join the Brazilian national team, which is a really interesting move. Can he add the World Cup or something to his, uh, his uh, array of trophies? But look, Aurelian Chiamini, great player. Just don't see it happening. Uh, I've got to be honest. Uh, Omar, who I haven't seen in here for a little while, says, uh, great that the deal is over the line. Harry, hopefully he lives up to the hype and the huge price tag. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Johnny Wonderling says, do you think our new additions to our squad, or do you think with our new additions to our squad, I beg your pardon, we're better positioned to succeed in the Champions League than the Premier League? I say this because there is going to be a settling in period. I think that the Premier League is harder to win than the Champions League. I know the Champions League is Europe's elite competition. It's got the best teams from all the different leagues and all of the rest of it. But it is a cup competition and you can have a stroke of luck. You can be um, in great form on, on the right nights and in the right moments. You can have the rubber, the green when you need it. Um, and it is knockout football at the end of the day, which is obviously a lot more um, unpredictable. The Premier League is going to be tough because of Manchester City. You know, if Manchester City weren't in the equation, genuine, genuinely, I'd go into next season saying we're the favourites to win the Premier League. But because of them and because of the strength that they have and have shown over recent years, I find it difficult to say that. Although Arsenal have progressed so much and although I'm pleased with everything that we've done, you can't say that Arsenal are the absolute favourites to go on and win it. I think, you know, my my slight frustration with what we think is going to happen in the remainder of the window is that, OK, we've brought in some really good players. I'm really happy with the Havertz signing, really happy with Rice. We'll be really happy with Timber when we get to that, which we think is obviously progressing and moving in the right direction. But my frustration comes from the fact that we are going to seemingly offload a couple of players that were really key to all the positive work we did last season in Xhaka and Partey. And if you lose them, you then kind of have to go again and rebuild that midfield relationship again. And it, whereas if you keep them there, I think that transition in terms of bringing these new players in and giving them time to settle down and get ready to go is an easier one. So I am concerned that we're kind of taking a step back, but maybe we need to take that step back in midfield to take two steps forward. I guess the thing that Mikel will look at, and I guess the thing that we should probably consider is that both of those players, Havertz, who we think is coming in to play in midfield, and Declan Rice, know what it takes to succeed in the Premier League. You know, know what it's all about. This isn't us plucking a couple of players out from a different league who need to come in and settle into a different country, even a different city. These are London-based guys uh, who are coming into our football club. And you'd hope that the transition would be easy and that maybe that was something that came into the thinking when identifying them as targets. But yeah, there is a, a little bit of a concern for me with regards to the transition that we're going to see in our midfield because when you make a big transition, there is always, um, there is always a little bit of risk that... You know, it, um, it it doesn't go as smoothly as you'd like from the off. So we'll have to wait and see. What else have we got? Um, there are some comments trying to get a rise out of me in there. We'll ignore those ones. Uh, but I will quickly remind you uh, while you're interest, uh, while you're with me to uh, leave a like on the video. Uh, it really, really does help. Please do subscribe to the channel as well. We'd love to get uh, to 28 and a half thousand as soon as possible, because that then means we're in, within reaching distance 
of that 30,000 mark here on YouTube, which we'd love to get to ASAP. Uh, Tom says, with Brighton interested in Balogun, I read that yesterday, should we offer them 50 million uh, plus him for Caicedo? It'd be a win for everybody and we'd be safer to sell Partey in that uh, instance. Um, here's my thing, right? And I said this yesterday and, and I, there was quite a little, quite a bit of pushback actually in the comments section when I spoke about this yesterday. Um, people sort of suggesting that I was wrong to say that Balogun probably doesn't get us £50 million. Um, that's the valuation that Arsenal are said to have put on him. Um, and look, I get it, right? He went to one of Europe's top five leagues. You can categorise Ligue 1 as that. Scored a hatful of goals, performed really, really well, impressed people. I keep talking about his commercial value as being really high, given his status within the US men's national team. And I really, really do believe that that is a big factor. If I were a football club and it was a question between paying what I think he's worth and maybe paying just a little bit extra, I would take the commercial thing into consideration. And I think that that would give me comfort as an owner or as a chairman that actually this is a, a worthwhile investment. And although I might be stretching a little bit further than I'd initially liked, I will reap the rewards for that and I will see the benefit of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could try, um, but I don't think Balogun will be seen by Brighton as a player worth £50 million. Brighton have been very, very astute in their business over the years. People keep talking about how much they sell players for, but they also buy players for really low amounts of money. Um, that's been a feature of their strategy as well, just as much as the selling has. You know, they've been able to identify players. I mean, what did they pay for Moises Caicedo? I think it was some ridiculous amount of money. Let me just check that uh, while we're on here, because I remember it being something silly. Because I, I always sort of hear from sort of Manchester United fans, well, we should have got Caicedo at whatever price it was, which was ridiculously low, because now they're looking at him as an option and thinking, my God, we're going to have to really break the bank here. Let me bring him up. Hold on. Moises Caicedo, Brighton Hove Albion. Market value, according to TransferMark now, is 75 million euros. 75 million euros. But he joined um, He joined Brighton for four and a half million euros. So you can see the, the, the markup there. You can see um, what what it is that Brighton do and, and how they do it. So for me, um, I think it would be great to... Um, to explore that possibility if indeed the interest in Balogun is concrete. But I think that Brighton are going to be one of the sides that maybe look at him and think, no, this is a bit a bit too much. I wonder if them being in Europe is going to change things. Is that going to make them feel more comfortable in, in spending bigger and spending more? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but I don't think 50 million is what you're going to get for Balogun. And I think they're not going to budge on their Caicedo price either. So, um, yeah, let's see how it goes. Uh, let's see how it goes with that one. Um, interesting, though. Uh, Zebedee says, quick one. Do you want Rice as our eight or as our six? Could Timber be a potential six? I think one of the big appeals about Declan Rice is that he can play in both of those positions and do both of those roles really, really effectively. I thought he was coming in as an eight. That was my initial opinion. Um, I thought he was coming in to play the Xhaka role because I keep talking about that midfield balance that I think we require. So I kept seeing him as, or thinking of him as as an eight. The signing of Kai Havertz, though, and then Arsenal's 
insistence on the fact that Kai Havertz is probably going to be um, a midfielder or is coming in to bolster our midfield options, as was said in Mikel Arteta's sort of uh, interview after he was brought in, suggests that Havertz is coming in as a midfielder and therefore there's a chance that Rice comes in as a six. Now, you know, I think there will be games in which I'd be more comfortable with Rice and Partey should he stay, for example, playing. So there'll be games, let's say, away at Liverpool. If you play Partey and Rice in that midfield, I think that gives us a little bit more security, a bit more physicality. And I think that puts us in a better position to be competitive in games like that. For example, if you're playing at home against Bournemouth, I think that you can get away with playing a Rice or a Partey at six and then Havertz and Odegaard as the rest of that midfield because the likelihood is that you're going to spend a lot of time on the ball and your main issue is going to be breaking your opponent down. And therefore, you want those creative players with that little bit more guile, with that little bit more skill, with that little bit more flair and um, and with a bigger goal-scoring threat. And people can say what they want about Kai Havertz, but he's played as a striker for God knows how long. He does score goals when provided with the service. He is a better goal scorer than Declan Rice is. He's more of a goal threat than Declan Rice is. Now, I, I think Rice will improve in that, just like Xhaka did last season, where he managed to get into the positions and all of a sudden he's got seven or eight Premier League goals, which two, three seasons prior was completely unheard of. But um, I think that you've got options there and I think that's really, really important. Guys, bear with me. I'm just going to pull this blind down a little bit. The sun uh, has decided to come out and blind me uh, mid-podcast. Anyway, back to darkness. It's just in my eye. Um what else have what else have we got? Uh, let's see. Uh, lots of Xhaka and Partey related questions, of course, because it does look like Granite Xhaka certainly is is heading for, towards the exit. Thomas Partey, I'm not so sure about. Um, you know, we've heard a bit over the last couple of days with regards to this, and the kind of general consensus among the journalists appears to be that. Arsenal would consider selling him if the right offer was to come in. But if it doesn't, then they're actually quite happy to hold on to him as well. There's no real urgency on Thomas Partey's part to get out of the club either, uh, if you believe those reports. So it's difficult to really read this and understand it. I mean, if the Saudis come in and say, here's £40 million for him, then I think that changes things. Because then you look at that and go, OK, we're not going to get this money for Thomas Partey later down the line. It's not the kind of money we can afford to just ignore because of the business that we're doing. And I could understand it in that sense, although I do think from a footballing perspective, it wouldn't make a great deal of sense unless you had a replacement lined up. But if somebody like Juventus is going to come in and make a measly offer of 15 million euros, then that's the kind of money that you you don't bite at, that you can write off, that you can accept missing out on. Um, in an attempt to to make sure that you have the best team possible. So it's all going to depend on the money for me when it comes to Thomas Partey. We're just going to have to sit back and see how this goes. Um, just quickly, before we continue on through the questions, which of which there are plenty in the live chat, keep them coming. Uh, we'll do another sort of uh, 15 minutes or so uh, of your questions from the live chat. Just want to bring you guys' attention, of course, uh, to our members' content, which you can find over on the Another Slice platform. Uh, the latest episode, which we dropped earlier this week, the first uh, this week, we've got two coming out every week throughout the summer. Uh, the piece was on Arsenal's three-phase summer transfer strategy. I broke it down, explained to you uh, what the three-phase uh, summer transfer strategy is all about, how it looks, and um, 
filled you guys in on where I believe we are in that right now. Uh, so do check it out. Go over to anotherslice.com uh, forward slash Chronicles of Aguna. The link is in the description below. You can sign up for £5 per month and you'll get access to two additional pieces of content per week if you enjoy uh, the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. And not only will you be supporting me to spend more time on this podcast to be able to cut back on some of the freelance work that maybe I don't enjoy doing, um, not mentioning any names, but there are a few of those, uh, then I'll be able to, um, as I say, to, to step this up more and more and more, which is ultimately the dream and ultimately what I want to be able to do. Um, but yeah, you'll also be supporting the great Ormond Street Children's Hospital to whom we are making regular donations from the membership pot as well. We've had a few uh, members sign up over the last couple of days. Uh, so a big thank you to you guys. Really, really appreciate the support and the love. Uh, and um, yeah, watch this space because there's plenty more to come. Okay, let's get back to some of your questions. Cell uh, Gears with an interesting one. What makes English players so much more expensive compared to non-UK players? So I think there's a couple of things. I think that commercially, within the British market, English players are, are uh, what's the word, are more revered in terms of working with brands and all the rest of it and sponsors. That would be a big bit of income and a big uh, revenue stream for a lot of these football clubs. I think also the fact that you need to have X amount of homegrown players within your squad uh, obviously plays a part in that as well. That by default pushes their value up. I do think that the English market is crazy and overblown. And I do think that there are players on the continent of equal ability, if not greater ability, that go for far less money. So I'm not denying that there's a massive issue here. Um, but I'm, I'm just trying to kind of think about why we've got and how we've got to this point. Um, and, and I do think it is to do with, you know, the commercial value. It is to do with the fact that when Premier League clubs are trading between one another, which is obviously what's happening here, there is always going to be those premiums whacked on top because everybody knows that everybody in the Premier League has money. This isn't like, um, you know, a Serie A club coming in for one of your players. Like, for example, the Xhaka thing, right? Now, I'm not saying that Granite Xhaka is worth 40, 50 million pounds, but if this was a transfer of Granite Xhaka to another English club, you can bet that Arsenal wouldn't be allowing it to happen for 21 and a half million pounds. But there has to be this acknowledgement and acceptance and understanding, I guess, that the market is different in different places. A Bundesliga club pushing up to 21 and a half million pounds is probably the equivalent of a Premier League club paying £40 million. When you think about the disparity between what those clubs have at their disposal. So I think um, I think that, that those are some of the factors uh, involved in this. Uh, let's take a few more. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo, doo -doo -doo -doo. Uh, Andy Jackson says, I'll believe Rice is signed when I see him holding the 29 shirt. Why would he get the 29 shirt? That's Kai Havertz's number. <laughs> um, what else have we got? Uh, St. Francis says, uh, put up the likes for our football Greek demigod. I'll take it. I'll take it. Never been called that before. Certainly not a god. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, definitely don't have the body of a Greek god anyway. Uh, but yeah, like, subscribe, all the rest of it. Can we get up to 250 likes? That'd be amazing if we could get there uh, by the end of the show. Uh, right, what else have we got here? Um, let's just pick out a few at random. Um, the Italian stallion says, why were we not in for Sandro Tonali? I don't think he's the profile that we need, my friend. Um, I'm a big, big follower of Italian football, big, big fan of Serie A, big, big fan of 
I'm not a fan of them, but I I do have a soft spot for Milan in comparison to some of the other clubs. And that was just a transfer that hurt my soul, man. Like to see us a player like Sandro Tonali, who is Milan through and through, all the rest of it, be sold because an offer came in that Milan just couldn't afford to refuse. It hurts. Um, I think Tonali would be good for Newcastle, but is he the game changer? I'm not sure that he is. And I, I certainly think that they've paid maybe slightly too much money for Sandro Tonali. Now, I'm not going to be one of those people that throws stones from a glass house because I think we've overpaid for Declan Rice. I think we've overpaid for Kai Havertz. And I understand that sometimes that is what's required to get these deals done. But I'm not sure I would have rushed into the market to sign Sandro Tonali, I guess is the point I'm making here. Uh, let's take this one. Um, Johnny says, does sharing by copying the link help, Harry? It does, mate. It does. Thank you. Uh, so, so much. Uh, Paratosh says, what is happening with Pepe? Nicolas Pepe spoke out, um, I think it was last week now, about sort of the fact that his relationship with Mikel Arteta isn't broken, that actually he respects him a lot as a manager and, um, and that he's going to have to wait and see what happens when he comes back to Arsenal with regards to his future. Look, give the guy a chance. Um, like genuinely, like you're not going to get a lot of money for him. And I know people were looking at Nicolas Pepe as one of the players that they could really cash in on this summer and really help balance the books. But I mean, he's 28 years old. We paid a record at the time, £72 million to bring him in, um, which was crazy money um, at the time. It didn't work out. Um, Mikel Arteta didn't trust in him. I don't know, maybe... Mikel Arteta hasn't gone out and got a right winger because he thinks that Nicolas Pepe has a chance of of working his way back into content, contention. I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, maybe not. Maybe he thinks Kai Havertz can do that role if he needs to in, in Saka's absence. Maybe he thinks that Nelson can play out there. All the rest of it. Trossard too. I don't know. But I think we're just going to have to wait and see with this one. But what I would say is don't don't get carried away. Like Don't, don't expect... Arsenal to bring in some crazy, crazy money um, for Nicolas Pepe, because I just think that is really, really unrealistic at this moment in time. Uh, let's take a couple more. Um, Halo says, Harry, according to the Athletics, James Pierce, Liverpool now seem reluctant to sign Lavia. Should Arsenal hunt him down now that Liverpool's interest has called? Well, we spoke a couple of days ago about Liverpool maybe being ahead of us in the race for Romeo Lavia. I think any top club that wants to obviously be competitive, but also needs to find the balance financially in terms of being responsible and making sure that they don't overstretch themselves is going to be put off by Southampton's £50 million asking price. Because Romeo Lavia is a good player and has, you know, uh, shone bright at times. But I think he's still not quite there. And it, uh, this is not me just saying that because... Liverpool seemingly got ahead of us in the race. You, you would have heard me say this right at the beginning when we were linked with him that, yeah, good player, like him, but can I rely on him at this stage in his career? Probably not. And then someone came back at me and said, well, he's 19 years old. You you can't expect to rely on him at 19 years old. And that is exactly the point. It's not because I don't think he's talented. It's not because I don't think he's got something there. It's not because I don't think he won't come good in the future. I just don't know that we can afford to take that gamble. And at the time, we were talking about him as coming in as a replacement for 
Thomas Partey. Don't know about that. Don't know about that. Uh, Dr. Smith joins us, says, just on my break at work. Good uh, news to see. Hope you're well, Harry. Hope you're good too, mate. And enjoying your break. Um, Casey Clip says, uh, don't you think a midfield of Havertz, Odegaard and Rice is physically weaker than the midfield we had last year? Yeah, it is. Um, and that's why I don't think you'll be able to get away with that in every game. And that's why I think that we need to keep hold of Thomas Partey uh, as well if we can, because it doesn't look like we're going to be able to keep hold of Granite Xhaka. Um, so, yeah, I think we, um, we're going to need to be able to switch between that balance of a, a, a midfield with a greater technical ability and one of a greater physical uh, presence. I think we're going to have to have both of those options and we're just going to have to play it right in the different games. Uh, just a quick reminder, guys, if you haven't hit it, it already, why haven't you liked the video? We want to get up to 250 likes if possible. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're brand new as well. That really, really does help uh, in our quest towards the 30,000 mark. Remember as well uh, that you can check out, of course, our members content over on the Another Slice platform. You'll see it on your screens here. If you're watching us, if you're listening, the link is in the description below. Head over there, sign up, get access to two additional pieces of content per week uh, looking at topics around the Arsenal. We've got uh, a Kai Havertz piece, where does he fit in at Arsenal? Uh, we did one on Yuri and Timber as well and why he would complete Arsenal's defensive unit. Um, fingers crossed that deal gets done and over the line. And the most recent episode is an explanation of Arsenal's three-phase summer transfer strategy. Right, let's take a couple more. Um, I said that I'll take a couple, take a couple more. Why not? Um, what have we got here? What have we got here? Do, 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 do. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. I'm trying to pick questions that I haven't really covered. Uh, so far, uh, more than a wheelchair says, have you heard anything about Tierney's future? I hope he doesn't go. It's gone really, really quiet, hasn't it, on the Kieran Tierney front? Um, I think I think he'll stay um, at this moment in time. I, I sort of went into the summer thinking he was definitely going to leave. But then I look at what we're going to have to deal with next season in terms of the number of games, the competitions, all the rest of it. And the more and more I believe that actually keeping hold of a deep squad is is really, really important. And Arsenal need to be ruthless as well in that if a player comes knocking on the door and says, boss, I'm not playing much, I want to go. You know, we can't allow that to happen unless it works for us. You know, you, you can't have a squad of, uh, you know, 25 odd players and every single one of them be happy every single time. Um, that's just not realistic. I think that, yeah, I think Kieran Tierney has something to offer. I think that Kieran Tierney is someone that we should try and keep a hold of unless there's an offer that comes in, a bit like the Partey situation, that you think is too good to refuse. And at the moment, there's no sign of that offer coming in. Therefore, at this moment in time, as I record this podcast, I say he's probably going to stay and probably should stay. If Newcastle come in and offer us 45, 50 million pounds, then maybe my opinion changes on that. But right now, I don't see the benefit in letting him go. And I don't see why we should allow that to happen. He's got to fight for his place like everybody else. That's just how it works. Um, you want to play at a top club, you want to compete at the top end of the league, um, then, um, then yeah, it is what it is. Uh, Mark Jerome says, surely there's an argument to keep Partey, even if a good bid comes in, if it gives us more chance of winning the league next season. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, Mark, I'd keep him. I've, I've said that throughout the summer so far. In an ideal world, I keep Xhaka and I keep Partey. I don't let any of them go. And instead, I build on that foundation that we 
sort of laid last season and look to improve the squad and the depth of it. But I think Arsenal will need to consider a big bid because of the finances of it all. Now, we're giving the club a lot of credit and a lot of praise for going that extra mile to get Declan Rice in, probably overpaying to get Kai Havertz in, as we've discussed on previous episodes. But I think there is a need to, to balance it a little bit. And I think that Thomas Partey would be someone Arsenal would consider leave, uh, allowing to leave, mainly because of his injury problems. I think that is more of an issue than you know, the drop-off in form at the back end of last season. I know that was disappointing and all the rest of it, but for three quarters of the season, he was magnificent. So I, I think the injury things is thing would be the one that uh, makes Arsenal think twice uh, about um, about his future should an offer like that uh, come in. And obviously, um, you know, there may be other factors at play here as well. Uh, Malesi says, uh, hi, can we realistically do a midfield overhaul with Rice and Havertz, Joel, and still meet the huge demands of challenging for the title and remaining competitive in the Champions League? Isn't that a big, risky gamble? It is a gamble. Um, it is a risk. Obviously, any transitional phase is that. Um, but I think, you know, we... I, I think that Mikel Arteta has become more and more ruthless and is getting more and more things right. So if he's, if he thinks that that's what we need to do or that's the way forward, then at this point, I'm willing to just sit back and trust him. Obviously, we're hindsight merchants in this business and it's easy to look back and say, well, he got that wrong and he got this right and he got that wrong and blah, blah, blah. But I think I'm at the point now where going into the season, I just trust him. I trust him what he's doing. I trust in the work uh, that he's uh, that he's done behind the scenes along with Edu to, to make the right decisions and um, and we'll see where we end up. Right, guys, I am going to leave it there. Um, thank you all so, so much, as always, for tuning in. Really, really do appreciate your love and support on the channel. Remember, like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. If you're listening on audio as well, please do leave us a review. We've slowed down a little bit in the um, audio reviews, and they really help as well. So if you haven't done so already, leave us a review. I will see you all soon uh, with some more Arsenal-related content. Until next time, have a great day. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.